Modern cars have become mobile computer systems with many small computers running millions of lines of code. On this episode, we plug a little Python into those data streams. You'll meet Shay Newton, who is a Python developer and who has worked on autonomous cars and is currently at Active State. This is Talk Python to Me, episode 255, recorded February 25th, 2020. Welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python, the language, the libraries, the ecosystem, and the personalities. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy. Keep up with the show and listen to past episodes at talkpython.fm and follow the show on Twitter via at talkpython. This episode is sponsored by Datadog and Clubhouse. Please check out what they're offering during their segments. It really helps support the show. Shay, welcome to Talk Python to Me. Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to have you here, and by have you here, I mean literally have <laughs> you here. I've, I've done a few recordings on location in Portland, but this is live from the Talk Python studio, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, great setup. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks. I'm really happy to have you here as well. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about cars. When I grew up, cars were these like dirty, greasy things. <laughs> I hated work on cars. Like probably I would have done different stuff with my life if I didn't hate working on cars so much. I actually used to race motorcycles and we oh, wow. would rebuild engines and we would take them apart and it was ridiculous. Those things had to be rebuilt like every month <laughs> the way they worked. Luckily it was not very expensive the parts. So I didn't really hate mechanics, but I don't know, I always just would bang my hand and <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I just didn't like working on cars. I always admired people who could. But I was really good at computers. And now cars are computers? Yeah, yeah. Is that how it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think people are out there <laughs> hacking in the grease and in the computer of their car too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, super cool. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the topic for the show today is to talk about talking to your car with Python, which I think is going to be real fun, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. Now, before we get to that, of course, let's start with your story. How did you get into programming in Python? Yeah, I went to the University of Idaho for a computer science degree. It was just something that was itching the back of my brain that I wanted to learn how to do and yeah, jumped straight into it. Today I work for Active State as a developer advocate and I'm actually just kind of out spreading the word a little bit about what cool things that they're working on. Yeah, well, tell us what a developer advocate does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good question. Yeah, so some of the day-to-day for me is reaching out to open source communities, maintainers, just about ways that Active State can work with them, about the cool things that they're doing. Developer advocate, reach out, talk to the community, talk to open source maintainers. Yeah, my impression is that there's like these different roles that developer advocates play, and they can vary really dramatically. Sometimes that's giving speeches at like conferences or user groups. Maybe it's like, I'm going to travel on site to a customer site. And they're trying to adopt some technology and I'm going to sit with them, almost be like a drop-in consultant expert. There's also the ones who maybe write blog posts or whatever, like yeah, yeah. some, so, some of all of the above. I don't know what, you're, what <laughs> you're doing. Yeah, a little bit of all that. There's some blog post writing. I was just at the Developer Week 2020 conference in Oakland. I'll be at Interop in Austin later this year. Yeah, just kind of toes in a lot of the communication sides of, of the work. Yeah, it's not the main topic, but... What do you think the qualifications are? And also, I should maybe just throw out there back in episode numbers escaping my mind. I did an episode with Paul Everett, Matt McKay, Cecil Phillip about being a 
developer advocate for their different companies. So if people really want to dive into it, they can go check that out. But what do you think the qualifications are? Like, how do you go from, yeah, I can get this code to compile or I can write a website in Flask. Now I'm representing the company as like an expert. Yeah, yeah. In a public forum. (laughs) I think think part of it is an empathy for the developer. I think there's the technical know-how, but there's there's two sides of like what even developer advocate might mean. So there's advocating to the developer from the company, but there's also advocating for the developer internally. Almost being a channel from the community back to the team. And saying this is the kind of thing that's important. This is the kind of thing that people are actually needing to use it for or the problems yeah. that they've come up against. And I think that that's something that, that I like to bring to the job. Well, it sounds like a really fun job. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah. Now, you told us you got into programming at Idaho, University in Idaho. What, University? Yeah, University of Idaho. University of Idaho. Okay, yeah. cool. And how about Python? How did you come to that? So even kind of in the earliest days, so that curriculum was kind of based on C and C++, but as I moved through the program, Python just showed up as the glue that held things together along the way. And quick scripts, rapid development for things that we were working on outside of class, independent projects. And the longer I was in the world of programming, the more Python showed up as this glue between things. And sometimes I was able to devote a whole project to it. And sometimes it was just one-off things that that I learned as I went. This is an interesting take. I, I definitely think that Python is much more applicable because it can consume or glue together these other things, right? Yeah. I was just talking to somebody and they were talking about, it's really cool that we can take Python and we can then hide away really old Fortran code for linear algebra, or we can hide away the C library that nobody really wants to work with, but we can you know, use the C API to create a package around it and no one has to know, but it's like, you know, 50-year-old tested code yeah. that nobody can get to work, but it doesn't matter. I think that's so powerful. I, yeah. yeah, I think that another thing that's interesting is, well, my sort of hypothesis is that companies that say that they develop in maybe Go or C or some other language, if you if you ask them if they are also using Python, it, I'm almost certain that they'll all say, oh yeah, Python 2, you know? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just there. It's just so so ubiquitous. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. So you just saw it like showing up everywhere. You're like, uh, I probably need to know this. It's, yeah, I need, to little, get, I need to get much better, yeah. Yeah, a little bit like you have to know JavaScript if you're going to work on the web. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Super cool. Okay, so that's a little bit about you. There's a couple of angles I want to take here all around talking to cars with, Python. First, let's start with science fiction. Yeah. That, that's kind of not science fiction. Sure. I, guess. <laughs> I mean, it feels like science fiction. So to me, when I was in school, when I was in college, you know, I took just a couple of programming classes for some requirements, not a CS degree, but to me, it felt like artificial intelligence. It was people working in Lisp and they were trying to pass the Turing test. Like if you have a chat, yeah. literally a text chat, with my program and you are tricked into thinking it's a real human, well, then it must be real, right? (laughs) And that, you know, never really worked very well. One, (laughs) two is not very impressive, right? And then, you know, it felt like AI was never really going anywhere. And then all of a sudden, you know, we rented a Tesla not too long, just for a few days. And it was just driving around on its own in traffic. Like that is really far from yeah, I can incredible. have a text chat that kind <laughs> of works. Yeah. Right. It's so I, that's why I say science fiction because I feel like, you know, that part of science fiction is kind of 
arrived. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of incredible advances. And I think that machine learning and artificial intelligence is accelerating that. Absolutely. Yeah. And you think Python is... It's the it, de facto in, way yeah. to go about that for sure. Really? Yeah. In my mind. Yeah. For yeah, handling data for machine learning. I mean, the libraries are out there. It's just a super powerful tool for that. Now you did a little bit of work around this kind of stuff. Can you give us a sense of just like what kind of libraries might be involved or like what kind of even just what kind of code do we got to write? What kind of sensors are there? Like, what's that world look like as a Oh, yeah, for, for CAR specifically. For Python, there's a layer on top of ROS called ROSPy, which is an incredible platform for talking to sensors and collecting data. So sensor data, get the, a view of the world around you or actuating controls on, on a robot that Python so has. So ROS is the robot operating system. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And ROSPy is the Python API for talking to ROS. Yes. So part of the, the way this might work is you just treat the car like a robot. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we can, as our cars, like you said, get more and more like computers. And as we want computers to drive them, they're just robots. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, jumping just a little bit ahead to some of the, the stuff, we'll, we'll come back to this uh, self-driving bit more maybe, but... We were talking earlier about just can we quantify how much this is true or not true about whether cars are like computers. And uh, if you go by lines of code, it's definitely in the realm of computers. Absolutely. Lots and lots so of lines of code. Random modern car, what would you say? <laughs> I, yeah, too many to count, too many for one person to manage. So I did a quick search earlier and I, you know, according to Google, I'm not sure exactly what it's basing this on, but it says, that the modern car with their infotainment and their cloud stuff and all that sort of thing says uses basically a hundred million lines of code. That's boggling, yeah. Yeah. So that apparently comes from Wired. So to give you a sense, that's five percent as much code as all of Google <laughs> as a company. Like all of their services. And uh, that yeah. stuff. And that's wild. We also looked and if you look at Windows ten, Windows is not typically accused of being like a thin bloat-free operating system i mean neither is mac os either really but it's definitely not considered one like a lightweight like mini operating system right yeah yeah it's right? the real deal <laughs> well windows 10 has 50 million lines of code so the modern car not we're not talking self-driving tesla nothing we're yeah. talking like kia or something right yeah absolutely 100 million lines of code that's a serious bit of programming yeah it, it's the yeah incredible effort of of decades yeah so it's pretty interesting just to think of how much computation is going on also i think i heard somewhere that the there's not just like a central computer, but there's a bunch of little micro computers and they need to interact with each other, right? Yeah, absolutely. Little computers all over the car that are talking to them, to each other in their own sort of protocol or the CAN protocol, which right, is the right, right. for that. I wonder if car technology had been adopted later, you know, how much would this just look like microservices with discovery? Yeah, yeah. Great, great question. Right, because... It's not JSON buzzing around the wire, is it? No, no, it's just raw <laughs> bytes. Yeah. Which is fine for performance and stuff, but I have no idea what the connectivity, <laughs> like the network cabling between these little microcomputers are. But there's a ton of computation going on in these cars, right? Yeah, absolutely. Every, I mean, from, from the big stuff like pushing the brake pedal to the little stuff like turning on an overhead light, everything is in a modern car is letting itself, the car's aware of it and 
many places when you do things like that. Right. I mean, traditionally, older cars, maybe there's some little microcontrollers in like an eight-track eight cassette player yeah. or something. But when you push on the brake, that pushed directly on a lever, which pushed on some hydraulics, which then pushed on a cap, yeah. the brake cap motors, whatever they're called. See, I don't I didn't work on cars. <laughs> and it makes it stop, right? Creates friction, heat goes in the air, car stops. But now... Not so much. I mean, it's like all the stuff that you do, turning on windshield wipers. Like my car is fly-by-wire, right? Like yeah. I push on the brake, I push on the gas, and it interprets what that should mean for it to go Yeah, absolutely. as it does. So there's there's a lot of data zooming around, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you gave a talk on this at um, the Portland PDX Python meetup, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And I'll definitely link to the, the video Cool that that was recorded there, and I'll link to that video there. But you had this graph of like all the data going along <laughs> as just a, a Kia, some kind of Kia Nero or something yeah. accelerating, right? Yep, yep. Just the the data that you have to, the noise you have to filter through, and just what the bytes look like as as you're looking at activity grow and yeah, right, yeah, super cool. Let's talk about that for a while. Let's talk about talking to cars. Surprising, not surprising. I don't know. It's a little surprising to me, I guess. But cars generally have the same architecture for like their communication protocols and their hardware and stuff, right? My understanding is that cars at least have to have an interface for this OBD2 port, whether that's an international or a federal standard, I can't remember, but a way for things like emissions tests to plug in and pull the vehicle for data, very specific data. So there's that. And most cars are, are still using this CAN protocol and this CAN bus. I think that that's pretty much the standard right, over right. these things. Right, right, right. And I suspect that's largely due to the suppliers and the OEMs. If you're going to make a car, you don't make the brakes from scratch necessarily. Maybe you buy them from Bosch or you buy them somewhere else. And those things all have to be interoperable. And They do. And there's also a history of things already having safety qualifications. So the work that's involved in having a new technology brought into a car is incredible. And so if something already exists that has the safety rating for it, it can be very cost-effective to just maintain. Right. It's almost like medical, right? It's like... <laughs> Once this thing's approved, yeah. it's a huge barrier yes. to dethrone it or whatever because you've got to uh, take anything new. I can imagine that. So OBD, onboard diagnostics, mm -hmm. if you get your registration renewed in a lot of places in Oregon where we are in California and uh, probably places in Europe, you've got to yearly, every couple of years, have your car evaluated to see how well it's doing. Yeah. So those places, when I had a car that burned fuel. I don't know anymore, <laughs> but I did. We would go there and they would plug it in and they would put me in this little closet thing and say, wait, wait for five minutes. And yeah. the car would like run and stuff would happen. And then they would unplug it and they would say, okay, you can go or you can't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you got to go get this thing fixed or whatever. So that's kind of some of the stuff that we're talking about, right? They're plugging into the same thing that we could talk to with Python. Yeah, absolutely. So the talk that you mentioned was, spe was specifically about using that OBD port to pull your vehicle for information, unpack and get a better look at it. Things like your emissions tester is plugging into that port using the accessible data. There's also, I think the insurance companies are doing some driver monitoring. Yeah, absolutely. My daughter recently went through this. She's going to be 20. She's 19 now. And she bought her own car. 
and her insurance was surprisingly expensive for her. Yeah. She's like, whoa, this is <laughs> this is pricey. But her insurance company did offer like, we will send you this dongle thing. You can plug into your car and it will monitor all sorts of things. It'll monitor your braking rate, your acceleration rate, your turning, like all these things. And if then we'll give you a price based on analytics yeah how well <laughs> they think you drive to me i was like there's no way that's going to my car yeah right? like yeah. forget this like I, i'm an adult i don't need that thing but it, it turns out it was only there for two months and then they said okay we've got enough information you can return it now okay so it's like a evaluation an evaluation or period yeah. it's not like you permanently at least for her company you didn't permanently install it but yeah they were plugging i guess into the same data yeah that's my impression there's a lot of applications for it. I think just looking at the Wikipedia page or something, it's a little, makes my eyes glaze <laughs> over a little bit because it's so specific and yeah. and particular. But there's also companies, there's one that I remember called Kama AI, I think that gives you a tool to plug in there and it helps visualize and represent that data in a little less eye glaze over way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Super cool. This portion of Talk Python to Me is brought to you by Datadog. Let me ask you a question. Do you have an app in production that's slower than you'd like? Is its performance all over the place? Sometimes fast, sometimes slow? Now here's the important question. Do you know why? With Datadog, you will. You can troubleshoot your app's performance with Datadog's end-to-end tracing. Use the detailed flame graphs to identify bottlenecks and latency in that finicky app of yours. Be the hero that got that app back on track at your company. Get started today with a free trial at talkpython.fm slash datadog. If we're going to talk to it, like it's one thing to get a package, a little IoT thing from you know whatever insurance company. They say, find the hole that looks like this and jam it in. Yeah. And it, it would do crazy things. Like it would beep at you if it detected a bad driving oh, wow. experience. You're yeah. like, you're beep, beep, beep. beep. Oh, no, there goes, there goes some money <laughs> permanently. Anyway. Instead of that, if we want to talk to it, when I'm thinking OBD2 or CAN bus, I'm not thinking USB-C or Bluetooth or wireless yeah. as like the plugin. Like, so how do I plug in, you know, something that talks Python into this? Yeah. So basically with the right cables, you can set it up to just go from the USB on your computer. When I developed this program, it was just using Ubuntu 18 Linux machine plugs to what is it rs232 something like that like the serial port equivalent yes and then that converts to the specific obd2 port and from there my kind of half joke is that talking to the car with python is as easy as any other io like if you've ever written to a file opened a file and written to it and read from it that's the equivalent of what you have to know how to do for communicating with your car. Okay. Once you get that all connected, that sounds pretty easy. You just open up something different to talk to the, the port that it's on or exactly. something. Exactly. Yeah. So in Python, the way you talk to files, create a with block, context manager, say open, you give it the file name. What is it? Like with car or like how do you do it? I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, what's it, the libraries it, for talking to the car? Yeah. So talking to the car, there's just a library called Python can that's made to interface with CAN networks and you just call open on it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So it really is kind open, of right. Yeah. Yeah. And then is it kind of like streaming data? You just say I'm reading from it and as soon as it sees a byte, it just kicks it out or how's that work? Something like that. You can pull for specific information or you can listen to streaming data and grab, I think it's called a PID. I'm not sure if that's the same process ID or, or not, but 
Yeah, you can ask it for information and you can listen for information. So the example program that I'd written up asks for the standard, the version number of the standard that you're looking at in your vehicle. I see. It, so yeah. you got to figure out what the communication protocol version is. Yes. So you know what the message is. Because things change, yeah, for sure. And when you're dealing with the low real estate of bytes packed on the wire, things are subject to change in ways that break the math to unpack them. So you I have see. to be careful. Okay. Yeah, so a lot of what's exchanged are hand data frames, is that mm -hmm. what they're called? Yeah. So these are like eight byte packets and you just have to figure out what they mean? Yeah, that's where kind of the the standard comes in handy. So typically it will say you have these eight bytes and in order to do what you need to, to get out a floating point number, there's a bit shift operation and a division and some scalar to multiply right, by. Right, the yeah. first two bits indicate the message type yeah and the second two bits indicate like where it's from, or something like that right? yeah where totally you go and like it's ultra packed in yeah there, yeah yeah okay i'm telling you if this was created today this would just be jason <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but it's built in a time i, I don't know when this first came out but it's it's got to be like 80s oh i maybe? think i think it goes back further than you that think so yeah. okay yeah, the, the computing power, they probably like, you know, we can't send the name over. We can send a bit. Yeah. That's what we're going to set the bit. <laughs> Interesting. So there's probably some higher level APIs and packages as well that given one of those frames or information. Like there are. My example was just the program I'd written was just a hands-on, go do it yourself, hack on your car, or listen to what your car is saying. Python does have an OBD2 or OBD package for doing this stuff specifically if you want to okay. like level up and and start collecting that data or writing your own applications for right, it. right 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 well that sounds pretty awesome i can <laughs> imagine a bunch of fun use cases now you said that maybe tesla doesn't work with this format because some of the like at least it maybe doesn't have one of these ports for example potentially because the purpose is gather like emissions data yeah if you don't so have emissions you're like well i remember some press coming out a while ago about at least one model of tesla that that people noticed that there wasn't an obd2 port for and yeah that from from what i could understand is that they didn't have to pass emission standards so there was no reason to enforce it right that they had that where other cars do but i think recent teslas they've decided to incorporate it back i see just to have some compatibility i'm sure the the native internals in Tesla are probably much more modern. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a some company, I think Japan, did like a teardown of a Model 3. It was uh, like a car OEM manufacturer, like they made transmissions or brakes or something. And they realized that for Tesla cars, there were many, many more parts that were from Tesla rather than third-party oh, parts. Interesting. And uh, they're basically their self-driving technology was all like tesla chips and, yeah. and whatnot and they were basically concluding like tesla is like six to seven years ahead because instead of waiting for all these oems to come along there's like yeah. no they're just building it and there's nobody they depend upon right That's wild, Whereas yeah. we are built like on this house of cards type of thing for uh, all of our suppliers so yeah yeah pretty interesting i'm sure there's different ways you can talk to tesla as well but these car companies they don't like you to talk to their software <laughs> so much some are pretty protective there's the public CAN bus that's easy to tap into that has the OBD2 port. And then there's private CAN networks that are a little more invasive to get into. Okay. They're not publishing in easy to find places how to unpack those bytes. But there are cars, like I think Lincoln has a car called the MKZ mm -hmm. that you can 
buy a kit for. And I think it's actually like supported by Lincoln or they, yeah. But, it, but it's a, somewhat, yes. endorsed somewhat. And it's for by wire control. It's for just hooking it up for autonomous vehicle testing. So at least Lincoln has seemed to have opened the door to this wow. kind of stuff. Yeah. Wow, wow, that's pretty interesting. I guess you have to have something that will actually do the steering on the steering wheel. or Like it's got to have a little bit of like lane assist or something. Yeah, or, yeah, that's or, an interesting or thing. Or else are you going to make there's, it like turn the wheel and press the brakes? There's one of the two organizations in Europe is doing, or last time I checked was doing testing with actual robots in the car. So like an actual right. kind of humanoid <laughs> shaped thing that would turn the... It pushes its leg, yeah. it's like pushes the gas yeah, or yeah. whatever it... it Rotates the arm with it as a rotating front thing. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of approaches to it. I think a lot of people are getting creative on, on how to do it, especially in cars where they don't necessarily have permission by the manufacturer right, to, exactly. to do They're it. They're like, you know, we don't need to get some of those expensive cars. We're going to get used whatever and just put the robot in it Yeah, and, and it'll be fine. <laughs> well, it sounds kind of crazy, but at the same time, right, that cars are meant to be operated that way. Yeah. And so pretty high fidelity for driving. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Well, I remember when I bought my car, we had to sign that we would not affect or modify or attempt to circumvent any bit of the software. Yeah. So like, if you change this, like one, your warranty is voided. Two, we're going to be real angry. You know, like yeah. the anti-lock brakes, the the lane assist, the airbags, all that stuff. They're like, stay away. Oh yeah. It's a big, big do not try at home kind of situation. Like the stakes are very high. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, there's some stuff like definitely reading the data. seems like it's kind of okay. Oh yeah. So as far as do not try at home, trying to affect a change in your car or, you know, cutting a cord and tapping into the private canvas or something like that's something I wouldn't recommend as a at home thing. Right. But yeah, the data from the OBD2 port is just public access. It's just read data right. or, request something specific but yeah it's it's your data it's it's something that that they're doing that they're obligated to do yeah and it's so what yours kind to of, take yeah i mean obviously the insurance companies are doing it without real permission so what kind of use cases do you see here like there's the diagnostic side of things there's the insurance side of things but i feel like there's probably some fun data science that you could do there. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, it does seem like for the data curious, there's a lot of interesting data to collect about your own driving patterns, about the fuel efficiency of your car. I just learned about some communities of people that are just trying to maximize their car for fuel efficiency with interesting fins and that kind of thing. And probably the data around how your car is behaving from something like this port would give you a little more insight into optimizing for things like that. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, that's definitely one of the first use cases I imagined was, well, maybe we could create our own little dongle that would create that data. Then we throw it into pandas and we start answering interesting questions and maybe even some ML models to say, people who drive like this, like this is the most important thing for fuel efficiency. Yeah. Besides not just stomping on the gas, stomping <laughs> on the brakes, right? But yeah. like maybe there's something that people are not totally clear about for certain vehicles or I don't know. It just seems like a for fun sure. little research project. Yeah, I agree. I'd be fascinated to see where that stuff, where a project like that would go. It seems like often when you set machine learning to a task, the things that it finds for you are wild and surprising. Yeah, yeah. they can be totally surprising. So yeah, I think it'd be fun to do some, some data science. What do you think about IOT type stuff? Like what kind of devices could we build and then stick on that port, right? Like <laughs> Raspberry Pi maybe? Well, 
with the right cables, you can hook up a Raspberry Pi for sure. I mm-hmm. mean, like I said, that Linux computer I had, you can... You have power in the car, so you just yeah. wire that, like, to your, yeah. you know, maybe to a fuse or over <laughs> to just, like, plug it into the cigarette lighter. Yeah, yeah. Who uses and those anymore? One of the incredible things about Python is it basically, it just works everywhere, right? I mean, yeah. it's the community and the development of the language has been awesome and, and it's multi-platform. And so if Python can run on it, you can listen to what your car is doing. I wonder if you could get MicroPython or CircuitPython to work. That's a whole nother level of small. That goes from Raspberry Pi to $5 microcontroller. <laughs> it seems to me like one obvious requirement, which I honestly haven't done enough with, but I think it would work, is if you just had USB support for that adapter, right? And, yeah. You know, I have a CircuitPython, I don't know, it's laying right here somewhere. And it has a little micro USB to oh, cool. like communicate with the computer and like to like write code on it and stuff. So potentially, yeah, yeah, just potentially, yeah, something to collect, collect on. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I think it would be super fun. I'm not sure I want to mess with my car or not, but it, <laughs> it definitely sounds like if I was looking for a cool little IoT project, you know, this is something that it might be really cool to plug into. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Just listening, getting a feel for what the data looks like just at that level is kind of fascinating to me. But then starting to unpack and look at the way your vehicle talks. But yeah, then taking it to a an application would be, yeah, could be a great direction. You know, if people are looking for like a science fair project oh, yeah. or something like, all right, well, we're going to ask, you know, some of the parents to install this on their car. Well, so you don't have, you back. don't have to install anything. So you don't have to put software on your car. No, you, I mean like just plug in the thing. Oh, gotcha. The, yeah. The yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> just that on its own is a little spooky. Like, yeah. Yeah. But you're like, I don't really want to put that in my car. I'm sure there's some parents though. They're like, but my kid wants to do data science. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll yeah. plug this into the car and see what happens. I heard something a while ago that it might be spookier to plug a USB into your car sometimes. I don't remember what, what vehicle it was, but somebody installed Doom to play on their little their little, oh, their little console. console. Yeah, because you could just put something that said run me car.exe or something. It's, yeah, I, yeah it my must details be like are a, a specific infotainment center or a specific car that yeah. just like... That was some easy, quick way. <laughs> yeah, so just plugging in anywhere in your car has some, your car's listening and it's trying to decide if it's something it needs to do yeah, something about. A lot of times about, it figures yeah. out, is it in, like some sort of audio device it can yeah. like play and put up on the screen or yeah. whatever. And if it has a, <laughs> a runme.exe <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it's going to run it, that's a little concerning. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I bring that up just because I, I think that plugging in and listening to the port for your diagnostics is like no more invasive than than it would be to... I would suspect it's less, yeah, right? If, yeah. that, if that port is read-only, yeah, right? As opposed to... <laughs> it's a really good point. I mean, it's definitely a little nerve-wracking to plug any USB thing into anything else. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you don't know, right? It could have... You know, Windows has that, like... Um, it'll try to, like, boot up certain types of things if it's in there, and probably Mac does as well. And, yeah, you don't want to put that in, yeah. in untrusted places. Super cool. So let's maybe dive into a little bit uh, more about the Ross Pi stuff. So with the diagnostics thing, you can definitely you know, see what's happening, right? The brakes were applied, the car did this or that, and, and so on. With Ross Pi, it's more like, like we said, like kind of like a robot, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of companies that are doing research and development, or maybe even just development for autonomous vehicles and robots are using ROS, it is really powerful for data collection. So what we've been talking about so far really is just about 
collecting and analyzing and visualizing and drawing inferences from data, yeah, right? Yeah. But Rossby probably could also take actions. <laughs> for sure, for sure, it could. And I think the power of like Rossby over just Ross is the the ability to kind of rapidly develop in much shorter amount of code and also right. to hook into these like super powerful machine learning and data analytics libraries. Like I could write this from scratch and see, or I could pip install Terrace yeah, yeah. plus this yeah. and then we're off to the races. Yeah. Do you think a lot of people out there are using like RossPy plus OpenCV, like computer vision stuff or things like that? Or is it you got to have some sort of sensor, right? And vision seems like some of it. Some of the options. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think because Ross is open source, there's a lot of people developing for specific sensors. And so you'll a lot of times when a new sensor is out or some new form of vision, you'll see development and incorporating into the Ross ecosystem. I see, like LiDAR or something like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever get to play with LiDAR? Yeah, I played, I played with, with some LiDAR. It's, so, it's kind of fun. Uh, maybe tell people what that is. <laughs> yeah, sure. that's a great question. What does it and stand why do, for? Why does it not just blind everybody around him? Right, if it's lasers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I've had LIDARs on my desk and I've hacked around and, and watched myself on the visualization, but I don't I don't know a lot about them. I think that it's... So it's like, basically, my understanding is it shoots out like a, like a spanning beam of lasers mm-hmm. and then it, it looks at the reflections and what lights up and can tell like distance and sort of 3D sensing. Yeah, yeah. So the sophisticated LIDAR sensors do have multiple layers and they spin 360 degrees and you can get these beautiful renderings of the environment but there's simpler ones that are more of a 2d thing okay or just a particular field of view right. that so are like just getting obstacle distance axis, like 20 degrees left there's a thing here zero exactly degrees, there's uh, there's a gap for this distance which might be all you need if you're like trying to develop a little like a Roomba or something a Roomba doesn't care yeah up, down or whatever perspective or hills it's just like I'm stuck on a cliff. Like, no, you're not. You're on a shoe, but also, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it it doesn't really distinguish a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. And I think that some of those sensors, LiDAR is one that can be prohibitively expensive when you really get all the bells and whistles, but like a simple field of view sensor might be a lot less expensive. And so you can put it into a consumer electronics like a Roomba. Right, right, right. Yeah. So if you wanted to, I guess if people wanted to play more with the self-driving aspect or they don't really want to just hook this to a car and to understand what the car is willing to tell them, but they want to put on all these sensors. Maybe there's smaller devices that they could play with and they could probably skip the OBD altogether and just <laughs> yeah, yeah. use straight RossPy. For sure. RossPy is one of their first kind of example projects, just gives you a list of the hardware you need and some recommendations for soldering iron and a couple sensors that are affordable to make your own self-driving kind of cardboard box with a phone in it, you know? That's cool. Um, it's totally it's a cool. It's expensive self-driving box <laughs> for cardboard. But. Yeah, yeah, the phone's the expensive part <laughs> exactly. for sure. But no, it's amazing what, what you're able to do. And so hacking into these other systems or creating your own like that, like that Raspi example, you can experiment with pathfinding algorithms. You can experiment with computer vision. Yeah, there's lots of fantastic stuff built in at, to Ross and accessible with Raspi. This portion of Talk Python to Me is sponsored by Clubhouse. Clubhouse is a fast and enjoyable project management platform that breaks down silos and brings teams together to ship value, not features. Great teams choose Clubhouse because they get flexible workflows where they can easily customize workflow state for teams or projects of any size, advanced filtering, quickly filtering by project or team to see how everything is progressing, and effective sprint planning. 
setting their weekly priorities with iterations, and then letting Clubhouse run the schedule. All of the core features are completely free for teams with up to 10 users. And as TalkPython listeners, you'll get two free months on any paid plan with unlimited users and access to the premium features. So get started today. Just click the Clubhouse link in your podcast player show notes or on the episode page. So there's two projects maybe that are worth like giving a shout out to. One that I recently learned about, I think it's pretty new, is called Donkey Car. Oh yeah, that's a cool one. Yeah, so it's an open source DIY self-driving platform specifically for small cars, like little remote control cars you could pick up with your hand or even hold in your hand. So it's an RC car plus a Raspberry Pi plus Python. In the Python side, that's Tornado, Keras, TensorFlow, and OpenCV. And oh, wow. that looks really cool, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So if people are out there thinking of, oh, like maybe I'll try something, like that comes with a really simple API. And it says you can do things like um, make your own car that'll drive itself or drive a car with your phone or laptop or record images or train a neural net to drive a car on different tracks. Like maybe you drive it, then you say, see, do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's fantastic. And the fact that it's kind of a nice out-of-box experience and you don't have to worry about getting something wrong and wiring it yourself. Yeah, they have a bunch of cool examples. You know, if I was like an engineering professor or something, I'd be super excited about all the stuff they got going on there. So the API is pretty simple. I looked at it. You just import donkey (laughs) and then you create a vehicle and then you just like grab the camera and you tell it to do things and stuff. It's, it's a really nice API. Wow. Another one that you brought up as we were talking before we hit record was this idea of programming a Roomba. Yeah. Right. I'm not sure everyone listening knows what a Roomba is. Like a Roomba is one of these little self-driving self-navigating, self-vacuuming, yeah. vacuums, right? I think right? they're driving. <laughs> yeah, they're, I mean, as much as a vacuum drives. Yeah. We have one of those. My wife loves it. Periodically, it'll get stuck on stuff. She'll ask me to, like, dig it out, <laughs> dig it back to its home so it's okay. But those are getting pretty sophisticated, and you can control those and program them, right, now? Yeah, I mean, this is this is another good question of what's officially endorsed by the company, but I've had some friends... Um, <laughs> don't don't, don't want to return it after this, maybe. But. <laughs> yeah, that have hacked on it. And it's it's cool because you have this baseline of performance that you're able to see with, with your vacuum and, and how it how it handles the, the obstacles in your house. But then you can also try out different pathfinding approaches and just see how it works. Right, it would be cool to put... I don't know how much of a like a sensor array that that thing has on it. It feels like, I know the old ones, it was kind of a blind thing feeling its way through the room. It had yeah. like, it would go bonk, bonk into the walls. Like, okay, I guess that's a chair. Or that's, <laughs> we'll just like work our way. I think the newer ones are a little more advanced because we'll get like a map of where it cleaned. Oh, wow. Yeah, like a three so, top down. It's like, oh, here's, GPS the, out, and, yeah, here's yeah. the top down view of where it thought the table was, you know? And oh, cool. It's much more advanced. So I, maybe you can get into those as well and get access to that information. Oh, yeah. I think that, that that'd be a great project. Yeah, seeing where the Roombas have come, what sensors are there. and Yeah, that'd be super fun. So I'll link both the donkey car. Well, that's easy, donkeycar.com, but I'll link to it anyway. And then this Roomba Python API. So not only do you get to program it, you get to program it in Python. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I, when you think about the self-driving cars, like how computationally intensive do you have to be just to do those types of things? Can you have like a really, they said Raspberry Pi safe for a donkey car, but maybe you have to only run simple algorithms. I don't know. You know, do you need GPUs? I know NVIDIA is working on a self-driving car. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, that at some point. I think it's just as much as 
they're able to fit. I think that w- whatever's available, w- they'll use. Um, yeah. And I think that a lot of the argument for using low-level languages is trying to get as much speed as possible. Right, because if you can take a higher res image, yeah, then that means a lot for figuring out what's out there. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. All right, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm inspired to work on something. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to go hack my Roomba, but maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Yeah, it sounds really fun. And also now I want to know if my car has one of those ports. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to go check it out and see. All right. Well, this is really fun to talk about these things. And we'll link to some of the, the stuff out there. I'll link to your talk. Maybe just give us a quick catch up on active state while you're here as well. You know? Yeah. I had, a, I think it was Pete on to talk about uh, machine learning libraries and oh, stuff cool. a while ago. But I haven't talked about active state for a while. So we hear a lot about Anaconda mm-hmm. and those types of distributions and feels to me like active, active state plays kind of in that realm. Yeah, and traditionally, active state has been uh, distributions in the same kind of vein as, as Anaconda, right? Okay. Just a, a big collection of popular packages that you don't have to worry about pip installing and that kind of thing Okay, for Python and for Perl also. But now they're, we're putting together a self-serve version of that. So you might think, oh, the active Python distribution has a lot of the great stuff I need, but there's 500 packages in it and I only need 40. Right. Okay. So you can go in to the platform and say, these are my, my 40 packages that I'm interested in, pre-build it, test it for these OS and architectures, and then anybody who wants to use my project can pull it down and just have everything good to go. Okay, cool. And you can pick like different versions of Python or can you even yeah. can, configure how, say, Python is compiled? Or like what level? Like where, where, yeah, where yeah. Level choices so, do I get so there? there's multiple versions of Python. I think we're up to three eight or three nine now. Like up to date with modern Python. Thousands of packages available. We're still in beta, so there's some flux in what builds and the the information about the combinations of builds that you're trying is valuable to us, and we'll make things better. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like a good project, and you're working on some ROS things. There as well, it uh, sounds like, like possible, like so, a village install, like isolated things. <laughs> Ross is something that I think is one of the powerful things about the future of this platform that we're doing. Ross is a project that's notoriously difficult to install and difficult to update. I've spent multiple days getting Ross configured the way I need it. And so the vision behind the what Active State is doing is that configuration is done on this builder of the Active State platform. You just pull it down, it's set up already for you the same way a distribution yeah would sounds a little bit like docker i think of it as more of a pip env than a full-on docker okay there is some runtime isolation yeah i was thinking more of the it comes in a way that you know that it's going to be set up to work yeah not so much the isolation side of docker gotcha yeah Yeah. it is so the power for some of the power behind it for ross i think is the same that applies to current things that we currently support like SciPy and NumPy that have C dependencies that you can get tangled trying to build them on your machine. Mm-hmm. So the builder on the platform tests and builds and gives it to you for your specific platform so that you don't have to untangle that. And the future of what the platform will be able to do is things like ROS, where it's just a pull it down, it works for you rather than having to do any of that yourself. Well, that sounds nice. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's the fun part of programming, not the unfun part. It's funny. Like we have this, this expectation that when we install things like Spotify, it just works for us, right? That's pre-bundled, right. pre-built. 
but when it comes to like our developer environment we still have to build everything from scratch like there's there's still this funny thing where developers are just going okay i have to build my new thing right so i think the idea is we get to a place where your dependencies are you can install as easily as you could your browser yeah well that's pretty cool when is that coming or like oh so the platform's live now and we're building up our catalog of python and perl for mac os windows and linux and the package list is growing and the potential for the language list to grow too yeah 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 cool all right, well, let me just close this out with a couple of high-level questions about cars real quick here. Uh, so I opened the whole conversation as in science fiction is like here is now just science or engineering in some regards with self-driving cars, but we're still not you know out there where just self-driving cars are cruising around. Like I just read this morning, somebody had projected like a human onto the asphalt in the cell and like Teslas were stopping that. Yeah. The, yeah. You know, like there's a we're, great we're, article we're about salt circles around cars. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I've seen like a, a car painted in and it yeah. Can, yeah, it's like walking across the line. So yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, the elephant that's tied down with a little tiny stake, right? <laughs> but that's where the car version. Anyway. So having more experience than many people, what are your thoughts on this? Like, are you just amazed at where it is? Do you think we're going to get to the science fiction level of it or? Why yeah, I, I think that I am amazed by what we're capable of with this technology. I think for me, the, aside from what we're capable of in our technology, I think because this is all so new and because there are things like 100,000 lines of code and we're coming from a system that has a foundation in building on safety assurances, there's a, a question that's still, I don't think, fully answered, which is how safe is safe enough for this new right. stuff? I think that some of the auto manufacturers are concerned about that. Certainly state and local governments are concerned about that. Like what, how safe is safe enough for it to be on the roads of our city, right? And I think that those right now, in my mind, that's one of the most significant challenges to AV technology. Yeah. And I think we might have to just get used to a different kind of safe. Yeah. So what I'm thinking is, you know, if there's a person who like is videoed being just run over by a self-driving car in some horrific way. Yeah. Even if there are, you know, 10% fewer wrecks and 100,000 people are not hurt, if there's a graphic example, oh, yeah. right, that's going to stick in people's mind, that's going to run on news and people are going to go, cars are unsafe, we can't have this. And like maybe they're uns- they are unsafe somewhat, but they're less unsafe than like people driving cars. Potentially. I don't know if that's true, but if no, that's, yeah. it just might take us a different type of, it's, we might have to all get used to it differently, right? That's a really interesting point. And I think that at the beginning, especially like when people are still trying to decide whether or not they are willing to trust this technology. Will you get in the car? Yeah. Like, like in that Uber that no one's in? <laughs> it's really important for the community of people developing this technology not to violate the public's trust. And I think right. that really catering or just really keeping the public in mind is an important part of how the industry moves forward. I think if they're going to maintain the trust of the people that they'd like to be in these cars. Yeah. I also think it's a huge challenge to have a heterogeneous world, right? It's one thing to imagine a world with really clear painted lines and tons of self-driving cars that all communicate like, hey, I'm over here. I'm, I'm, I'm intending to turn or whatever. But if there's grumpy drivers at rush hour, yeah. in there with them like that's that's a whole different level of complexity <laughs> i like to think that each of the auto manufacturers with their own sort of machine learning 
decision making, there's going to be like different attitudes of Fords versus, you know, GMs or something, right? right? Like the Fords are grumpy. <laughs> at, the Cadillacs on the freeway. are super aggressive. Yeah, exactly. cut you, off, no <laughs> you can doubt. never merge when there's a Cadillac. <laughs> yeah. How interesting. Yeah, you know, it's probably true, right? Like if they have different models running, yeah. they're going to make different decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Well, we'll see if they learn. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess, you know, probably that's a good place to leave it for the conversation. But I'm both somewhat hopeful for this technology. I'm mostly just really, really impressed with it. Although I'm not one of those people like I can't wait for self-driving cars to come because I hate driving. I, I like driving. I don't mind it. I actually don't have to commute that much. So it's no big, I guess maybe that's why I don't hate it. But, yeah. But I do think it's interesting technology. And it, it really blows my mind coming from the Turing test chat bot thing oh yeah world, you know? yeah i was just learning a little bit about eliza when it like i think it was written in the 60s yeah, yeah that's what, like i think that was one of the ones yeah. i was thinking of sure nice <laughs> all right now shay before you get out of here you got the two final questions yeah if you're gonna write some python code what editor do you use yeah so i'm a vs code person and okay i have had great experiences with both vim and emacs and th those were kind of driven by pair programming. I'd like to be able to jump in and pair. And so I've right. learned for the people that I was typically pairing for. And something that is a little easier barrier to entry like VS Code makes it much easier for me to pair regardless of preference usually. Right. It's, and the it's tooling tough to jump in Python. on Vim or whatever if you're not familiar with it. Yeah. I mean, just go like, all right, now exit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, and the tooling for Python for VS Code is solid. Yeah. I've never had a complaint there. Yeah. Oh, cool. All right, good one. And then Notable PyPI package? Yeah. So Notable in a couple ways for me is the docopt package. Okay. So it's for sure my most used library just because it takes scripts that I write and programs that I write up to a next level of usability on the command line. But the other thing that's incredibly notable to me is that it's like maybe a project that's reached enlightenment. It's been quiet for two plus years or something. Yeah. Like it's just but stable. It, but it's okay that that's happened? Yeah, for sure. Like yeah. it, there's like warnings out there that you shouldn't use a package if it's been quiet for a certain amount of time, if there's not enough activity. But I think there are some rare ones out there that are just stable. You right. know? It's, it's they, done. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, it's they rare in the software world. And that's, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of done. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's a, a very good one. Cool. Well, you know, thanks for being on the show. People are excited about this. Maybe they want to go get some diagnostics information in their car, or they want to try out some of the self-driving AI magic. What do you say? Yeah, I say jump in. Ross is a great place to start. Talking to a robot, talking to a car isn't harder than File.io. If you can do that, you can talk to robots. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. <laughs> awesome. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You bet. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of Talk Python to Me. Our guest on this episode was Shay Newton, and it's been brought to you by Datadog and Clubhouse. Datadog gives you visibility into the whole system running your code. Visit talkpython.fm slash datadog and see what you've been missing. They'll throw in a free t-shirt. Clubhouse is a fast and enjoyable project management platform that breaks down silos and brings teams together to ship value, not features. Fall in love with project planning. Visit talkpython.fm slash clubhouse. Want to level up your Python? If you're just getting started, try my Python Jumpstart by Building 10 Apps course. Or if you're looking for something more advanced, check out our new async course that digs into all the different types of async programming you can do in Python. And of course, if you're interested in more than one of these, be sure to check out our everything bundle. It's like a subscription that never expires. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Open your favorite podcatcher and search for Python. We should be right at the top. You can also find the iTunes feed at slash iTunes, the Google Play feed at slash play, 
in the direct RSS feed at slash RSS on talkpython.fm. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Now get out there and write some Python code. Thank you.